On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Menzel, a.k.a. Menners, and it has been a big week of cricket with the Big Bash and the Women's Big Bash concluding and Australia's T20 Tri-Series versus England and New Zealand kicking off at the SCG last weekend. And to wrap up all the news this week, I'm going to speak with Robert Craddock from the Courier Mail in Brisbane and Sam Landsberger from the Herald Sun in Melbourne. But before we get into that, after the T20 International at the SCG, Chris Lynn spoke to the awaiting media and he was asked a couple of good questions about whether his priority is still playing for Australia and how he struggles to keep his body fit. So have a listen to Chris Lynn and then I'll be back with Robert Craddock. Absolutely. My priority and my number one priority and always will be my number one priority is playing for Australia. Yeah, it might just be in the shorter format at this stage, but you know, those T20 leagues are great and I've always put my hand up for them, but if they clash with the Australian duties, I'm always going to play for Australia. You know, playing tonight's the best feeling in the world and, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's it's great fun. I've, you know, the boy at the change room, it's amazing. I've learned from the best players and um, get to be a part of the Australian system. So as a kid growing up, you want to be in that Australian change room and, yeah, as I said, that'll always be my number one priority. Um, and, I, you know, there's World Cups around the corner. Um, I want to be a, a strong part of them. And, and basically, it started tonight. Uh, just on hold at the moment. Obviously, first of all, I've got to get my body right. It um, hasn't been too kind to me, so I'll probably pull up quite sore tomorrow. So for me, moving forward, if I was to play a, a four-day game, Sheffield Shield, playing day one, yeah, that's fine. But there's no way I can back up day two, three, or four, and that's the worst feeling in the world. Putting hand up to say, yeah, you can play, and then letting your teammates down. You only got ten on the field, so that's the, that's what hurts the most. So I'd rather just. Put it on, just put it away for probably 12 months. I definitely wouldn't burn that bridge. Still keep the door open there, but it's on hold for now. As I said, I just want to play some cricket. I, want, I was pretty hungry to play the, the 50 over stuff, but even deep down inside, I thought I might even struggle to play this last campaign. So this is a great platform to, to hit the ground running. I've got some good cricket building up, um, moving ahead. Well, that was Chris Lynn speaking after the T20 International, and I now have on the line the great cricket journalist from the Courier Mail in Brisbane, Robert Craddock. How are you, Crash? Very well, Andrew. And yes, look, Chris Lynn, he's a a figure of great interest, isn't he? And I think his Red Bull cricket is over, quite candidly. And, 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 you know, it's not that he doesn't love Australia or Test cricket, but it's just that He'll make about $2.8 million this year in 2020 competitions if he can stay fit. And if he plays two days of cricket in a row, and he's really likely to injure himself with his arm and his shoulder, so he just can't do it. So I sort of get his point. Yeah, so do I. And I also think that you really, when I was speaking to him on the weekend, you see how much of a struggle it has been just for him to come back this time and play, you know, the white ball form of the game. So to think that he could ever play Test cricket or or Sheffield Shield cricket for Queensland, that just seems a long, long way off. 
Oh, you've summed it up very well, Andrew, because that's precisely right. I mean, uh, he lives with it every day. He has nightmares about it, like he does, of injuring himself in the field. And, and look, the, the extremes are absolutely north and south pole for him. North Pole is an injury-free year, as I said, in which he earned $2.8 million and set himself up for life. But if there's one hurdle, if that shoulder goes any time early in the year, he could forfeit all of that and earn next to nothing. So it's a sort of pressure which I don't believe Joe Blow in the street can really relate to. Certainly I can't relate to it. And cricketers of previous generations, I'm not sure that they can relate to it, where you simply did your best. But he signed up for all these deals and... He, he, if he can, all he has to do is exist pain-free for a couple of years, and then he is set up for life. So, but it's fascinating. The world of cricket's an interesting place, Andrew. Yeah, I just think it's great now for these cricketers that they have other options. You know, if if Lynn wasn't up to first-class cricket 15, 20 years ago, well, he'd just have to go on and and find a job doing something else or coaching. Exactly, and you know, he's he's. A fascinating study, Chris Lynn, Andrew, because he's the best cold starter I've ever seen. He doesn't play great cricket, he doesn't play shield cricket, and yet he comes out and bats in 2020 as if he's just rushed out from the practice nets. I mean, you could put him in an igloo, pack him in ice, then walk him out to bat and he'd still hit a six-first ball. He, he, It's a rare, rare talent. The game hasn't really seen anyone like him, I do believe. Yeah, he's an absolute T20 marvel. Now, Crash, we haven't caught up with you this year yet. We sort of caught up before Christmas. How have you been? Did you enjoy the sort of Boxing Day and New Year's tests? No. No, I didn't. I thought they were too slow-fused. and <laughs> it, it, uh, the, the, the Summer went to sleep, didn't it, after the Perth test and... Uh, Look, I just believe test wickets in Australia are too docile, Andrew. Uh, we saw a couple of ripper tests in South Africa where the ball was seeming and swinging everywhere. And, you know, it's almost... they Curators almost had to apologise for producing wickets like that. Well, I disagree. As the late, great Peter Roebuck once said, does anyone ask the public what they think? They want action cricket. And I just think we've just got to be careful in Australia that our test decks don't become too sterile. Yeah, the Sydney test was really funny because, you know, although Australia won and there were some highlights, it was very hot in Sydney and, and the wicket was docile and it was a sort of sleepy test. It, it just it just sort of never really sort of got going, never really sort of came to life. And, yeah, it was a bit of a shame, really, that the Ashes sort of ended like that. But I guess we shouldn't complain with the 4-0 result being Aussies. No, the world's changing, though. Uh, the most interesting prediction of the summer for me came from Brendan McCullum, the the Heat batsman, who said that in 15 years, cricketers will be contracted to their 2020 franchises and be let out occasionally to play for their countries, much as the case in English soccer. You know, that system's coming to cricket. I think it'll happen, Andrew. I really do. I can see it happening already with with players from the West Indies and Sri Lanka, you know, being really duty-bound to T20 cricket. Yeah, I don't know if I can see players sort of being uh, signed up to a club in a football sense, but also I think that what will happen is if they 
sort of put some structure to the ODI and T20 international game and sort of lessen the amount of fixtures and make them more important where they have some broader context. We might see a little bit less of these limited over tournaments that seem to have no meaning. So you get the players being released to play in sort of short, sharp international series with meaning and then they sort of go back and they play in one of the T20 leagues. I sort of think that's the way it might pan out. Yeah, I agree. Look, it's changing. And I mean, uh, you have a look at guys like Sunil Nareen, uh, the West Indian champion mystery spinner. I mean, he's basically a T20 specialist. Even, you know, Andrew Ty, Australia's own Andrew Ty, has played just eight first-class games. I mean, where do you think his future is? You know, and even, and I'll be provocative here, Andrew, what about Billy Stanlake, a guy who's had three stress fractures at the back, one of the pelvis, one of the ankle. Now, he could just travel the world as a 2020 player and play for another 12 years, where if he plays first-class cricket, he could break down and lose the lot. So, look, there's some serious questions, Marks, you know, floating around in the heads of these young players, I can tell you. It's a changing game. Um, all right, so I want to talk about the one-day series that it was just completed. Australia lost 4-1 to England. I guess my first question to you is, Crash, it's a year to go to, until Australia's World Cup defence. Do we have enough time to get it together? Yeah, we do. Look, we're not that far off the mark, to be honest. Australia's only won, I think, two out of their last 14 one-days. Extraordinary stat, isn't it? But, look... You put a Chris Lynn in that team, I understand they want him to bat three and Steve Smith to bat four, and there you've got the power. You put Alex Carey in instead of Tim Payne, you sneak Nathan Lyon perhaps back in there, and you've got a team, you know. But they will be fine by the next World Cup in England. You know, you you might have Chad Sayers playing by then, mightn't you? (laughs) So, you know, know, it'll be, they're not far off the pace. The team to beat, though, is India. They've they've got a, wow, gee, that, that, I mean, they've, giving South Africa a shocking touch-up in the one days over there. They, they're a vastly maturing team. Yeah, India look good. I think the Aussie selectors missed the trick not playing Nathan Lyon this summer because, you know, we go to England for the World Cup defence. When the ICC take control of the pitches over there, they'll be a little bit drier than normal English wickets. So they will take turn, especially we saw in the Champions Trophy. Once the sort of wickets get a bit old during the tournament, they do sort of uh, get a bit dusty and turn, even in England. So, you know, Lyons should have been given a go because you, you need a wicket-taking option in the middle overs. And he sort of he's done that in the test matches. Why not give him a go in the one-day side? Yeah, I think they feel they've always had him up their sleeve to use when appropriate. But I do agree. Like leg spinners struggle in England. They, they, you know, just struggle to get zip on the ball. Whereas finger spinners can dart it into the wicket, can't they? And get a bit of purchase that way. So I haven't given up on all of the line for the World Cup. I think he might be there. And as I said, Alex Carey down the list with a bit of snap, crackle, and pop. That's a good choice. And, you know, so they're not far away. Stoinis is coming through nicely, isn't it? But they're not a team with a plan at the moment. England are the contrast. I think they've lost two of their last 21-day matches with a licence to, to sort of trip the light fantastic and have a bit of daring do about them. And they're playing really good cricket. Yeah, I think Steve Smith sort of 
showed a little bit of maybe misjudgment or, or something when he talked about that Australia likes to play a game where they keep wickets in hand and then go hard towards the end. It seems like that method of playing 50-over cricket is a bit outdated, that you've, you've got to back yourself and go harder for longer and you know just back yourself to, for it to come off. And you know we saw England do it, Australia just left too many wickets in the sheds and were never really able to get momentum at the back back half of the innings. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's nothing quite like a supercharged start. I mean, when Adam Gilchrist was at his zenith and, and, and really giving Australia a, a, a rocket-launching start, you know, Australia was so devilishly hard to beat, weren't they? David Warner is not what he was in the 50-over game. He's struggling. Smith is tired and struggling. So... Yeah, these are all issues. And, and, and Andrew, I'm, you know, it, it, for Smith and Warner to be going to the Indian Premier League, you know, I just hope they don't get overcooked by their commitments over there. I get why they're going. Who can say no to $2 million to play a series of 2020 games? It's You've almost got to take it. But, you know, it, it, it can only add to their fatigue with their suffering from at the moment. Yeah, Ian Chappell wrote a good piece for the News Corp Stable where he sort of talked about the challenge that Cricket Australia has to keep Steve Smith fresh, but then also put a good product on the park. And, you know, Smith didn't look great in this one-day series. He definitely looked tired, worn out. Uh, so it's a real challenge for Cricket Australia to sort of balance that out. And Smith wants to, to play everything, so they really have to take charge. They do, and I, you know, quite clearly one of his great challenges is the last thing anyone thinks about Andrew, and that's sleep. You know, <laughs> he, he's notoriously bad sleeper. You know, he, he gets about sometimes about combined total of twelve or so hours during a test match, and I don't care how strong you are or how brilliant you are, and he is amongst the most brilliant batsmen ever played for Australia. That grinds you down. I mean, in, in wars. Sleep deprivation is the one surefire way of torture, isn't it? You know, they say it just, you know, it gets everyone. And Steve, when he met the Dalai Lama on the last tour of India, the first question he said to him was, how do I get more sleep? You know, how can you control that? How do you put your body at rest? And so it is an issue, and it's no surprise at the end of a long season he's looking and feeling tired. So I just hope we don't burn him out. I'm always mindful of the comment that Shield Berry, the great wisdom editor, said about great batsmen. He said, normally the great batsmen, they have a couple of years where they average 70 and they have a couple of years where they average 30 and then they have a, the rest of it, they average about 50 and that ends up with an average of 50. So he said, they only really burn brightly for a couple of years. And I just, Steve, I so hope that's not the case with Steve, that this current form uh, surge that he's having will be dimmed by fatigue. I I really don't, because uh, it's really quite special. Well, I guess that leads into the next question. I think that with that in mind, and with Steve Smith still playing the IPL, Cricket Australia maybe needs to give David Warner the T20 captaincy and relieve that emotional and physical burden off Smith. I mean, he doesn't play that often, like in this series he's resting, but... Generally, even with a World Cup in Australia in two years, as much as Smith wants to be the captain in that T20 World Cup, I think Cricket Australia need to say, look, you you know, you're playing in the IPL, you're our test and one day captain, you can't have your cake and eat it too. We think 
we're going to take the T20 captaincy away and give it to David Warner, which would help him because he wants to be captain. So he at least has something that he can sort of strive for, that T20 World Cup. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I mean, three forms of the game to be captain is, is brutal. We've seen the way England do it, and they split up each of the captains, and it works quite well. Jay Root's very happy to play under Owen Morgan in the 50-over game. So it, it's it's three forms of the game is too much in the modern game. And Smith started as a young captain, and Australia needs him to be captaining well into his 30s. He's only in his late 20s at the moment, so they really need to preserve him. So I agree with you, Andrew. It's a very good point. All right. Now, what did you think of Australia's T20 side? They they won the first game against New Zealand. They put out a basically a best of the big bash. David Warner was the captain. We talked about Billy Stan. Like, geez, whether he plays ODI cricket or, or red ball cricket, he looks dangerous and devastating. Yeah, look... There's been a theory in the Adelaide Strikers that he may well bowl the fastest ball ever recorded, over 160 kilometres an hour. When I first heard that, I thought, oh, I'm not sure about that. But already he's into the low 150s, and he will get stronger, and he will get faster. And he does bowl from such a height that, and this is confusing to sort of say, but he bowls down into the wicket uh, from quite a steep, trajectory, if he bowled a knee-high full toss, it could even be about 156 because he's costing himself some pace by his angle. So he is quite special, Andrew. I mean, he's one centimetre uh, taller than the previous tallest bowler ever to play for Australia, Bruce Reed from the 1980s. And Bruce was just the most underrated bowler, wasn't he, of his generation. This guy may actually have Bruce Reed covered. He swings the ball, he bowls at pace, he's accurate too. And he's a good kid, you know. Nothing much phases Billy Stanley. He comes from a nice family, worked in his dad's news agency behind the counter on the coast as a young boy, and I think he's really quite special. He's only got one enemy, Andrew. There's only one thing stopping him in cricket, his own body. Yeah, I just hope he can get it together and maybe play test cricket because you look at that opening spell, you know, you got him on a, a wicket with a bit of pace and bounce. He, he'd just be devastating. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, wasn't it fun to see him sort out a couple of the Kiwi batsmen who were flat-track bullies, I think. You know, Munro particularly had no idea first ball. The Martin Guptill, who's the original white ball assassin, isn't he? And yet struggles against higher class in the red ball game. And I did take a bit of perverse satisfaction, Andrew, just to clean up a few uh, a few of the flat flat deck specialists. I thought also in the chase when we saw Chris Lynn and Glenn Maxwell batting together, they put on 77. That gave us a glimpse of what a firing and successful Aussie T20 side could look like because we haven't seen it very often. No, well, that batting order is the most fierce batting order ever assembled by Australia, I do believe, in any form of cricket. When you've got Warner, Short, Lynn, Maxwell... Goodness. I mean, goodness gracious me, there's a lineup for you, isn't it? And um, there's such rapid scorers that Lynn scored, I think, 44 off about 32 balls, but he was only ever in third gear. Like, there was no suggestion he was flat out. Um, he's got an extra, an extra gear, maybe two above that. So, but I was pleased to see Lynn just put a score on the board for Australia. I mean, for all the puffing and puffing about his ability, you've got to produce it at national level, and finally he's done that. So I'm very pleased with 
And just quickly, Andrew, on Chris Lynn, there was shots he played the other night, like square drives and that, which he hasn't had the freedom to do with his injured shoulder from a year. I'm liking his potential. Yeah, I hope he gets back to 100% fitness and we can he can become a crucial member of our T20 side. All right, let's cast our mind to the Brisbane Heat crash because for me, they were one of the most disappointing um, teams in the Big Bash this year. I thought the Brisbane Heat looked dead certainties for the semifinals and they just sort of sort of limped to the finish line. It was some yeah. pretty insipid performances at the end. And I think McCullum and Vittori have a lot of work to do to get this team together for next summer. Yeah, it's it's fair criticism. They lost their last four, and before that, they're on top of the ladder. Totally fair criticism, underachieved. Joe Burns' injury was a sleeping setback to them. No one mentions him, but when he did a groin, it really hurt them. They were one, gut, one win away from making the finals, so it wasn't a catastrophe, but it was poor, you know, from where they were. If, you, if, if someone says you've got to win one of your last four games to make the finals, you don't do it, you've been poor. They lack an enforcer fast bowler, which is the tragedy of Billy Stanlake's defection to the Adelaide Strikers. And there's question marks over there recruiting because a lot of good Queensland players have left. The most single most underrated player in Big Bash history is a Queensland export, uh, Ben Lachlan, who I think's taken something like 22 more wickets than any player in the Big Bash. I mean, that's huge. That's about 30% more wickets, you know, than anyone mm. else. Guys like Michael Neeser, they could have done with him. So, yeah, they, they've, they, there's some questions to be answered. And, uh, They've really, Vittori's really got to get a movie next season. Fair point, Andrew. Fair criticism. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you know, people say the Big Bash is a bit of, some people think it's a bit of hit and giggle, but I was at the SCG on the night when the Heat collapsed to the Sixers for about 70, and I've never seen a more pissed off bunch of cricketers than the Brisbane Heat after that game. Vittori was seething McCullum. So it really meant, it means a lot to these players. Uh, when they yeah. do well in the Big Bash? Yeah, it, look, it's it's lost its sense of... Uh, it, it, I mean, all the fun trappings are there with the kids, the autographs, the on-field interviews, and the you know the, the, the pyrotechnics and the dancers. But that, it, it, you're dead right. It's, they're playing for keeps in this competition now. There's no sense at all. It's this little fun and frolic, which 2020 cricket was a decade ago. They're desperate to win. They were... I saw them the next morning, Andrew. I'd been on holidays and I was at the Sydney airport and uh, they, the officials were as young cast as I'd ever seen them. And uh, that's good. That's what you want to see. So, you know, they, but they were very disappointing for sure. Yeah, I think this Big Bash season, you mentioned, was a season for the battler. You mentioned uh, Lachlan before, but we had Ty, Weatherall, Short, Siddle, all these sort of journeyman players, you could say, who really did well in this year's Big Bash. And the the real stars didn't really dominate the competition. It was the the, the battlers and the, the real um, the first-class cricketers from the Australian Sheffield Shield that came out and showed their worth. Great point, Andrew. And the point worth making when we think about what the competition needs. Like... Everyone says, oh, it needs the big stars play more. I'm not so sure about that. I don't need to see Steve Smith hitting 50 off 30 balls for the Sydney Sixers. I see quite enough of him. I'd rather watch Darcy Short slogging away. 
I'd rather watch Chris Ling slogging away. Um, I'd rather watch mystery spinners like Noreen, who wasn't there this year, but, or, or any of the Pakistani lads. You know, I want to see fresh faces. And so, but you're right, it was a season for the battler. And I don't think it lost anything for that. It was good. Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing, say, Smith captain the Sixers for a few games and Warner captain the Thunder and them sort of come up against each other. But you wrote a couple of really interesting pieces about the TV rights negotiations and that sort of backdrop backdrop that it's been right throughout this big bash, that the fact that they the Cricket Australia backflipped right at the end and let the... Aussie T20 players play in the Big Bash final, I think shows that they were keen to produce the best product they could before these negotiations. Yeah, but it, was a, it, was a, it wasn't a great look, though, Andrew, to change it on the day before the final. And they do have a rule where you can't play and travel on the same day. That's a player's rule, and they broke that out of nowhere. So I just think... Justin Langer made a quote the other day. He said, as soon as you start confusing the public, you've got issues. The public were confused the other day. You know, they really were. So mm. I didn't think it was a great finish to the competition, but it was saved by the fact that the best team won, the, the Adelaide Strikers. And uh, I just feel such happiness for their coach, who is just a wonderful bloke, Jason Gillespie. Gosh, he was easy to deal with in his playing days. He was a real favourite of all the journos because he was such an understated, sincere sort of a bloke. Yeah, great win by the Strikers. So what do you think about the TV rights crash? I mean, it's it's going to really determine whether the Big Bash expands, how they um, shape the summers in the future. What's what's your yep. early sort of feeling? What's the buzz? Oh, I, I, don't, I, don't like, I don't like the thought of pushing into February, Andrew, but... This is cricket. This is what cricket Australia would argue. If you put, if I handed the phone over to them, they would say this: If we push into February, we know we will get in the road of some big shows and television networks. We know we will rate less. We know that there will be less crowds again. But at least we'll own February. Right at the moment, cricket doesn't. It used to own February, but now AFL women, rugby union. They're all pushing to February, so cricket becomes a dead sport in a month that it used to own. So I sort of get the other side of the argument, Andrew. I'm not big for it. I want to see the big bash finishing the school holidays, but I sort of get the other side as well with Cricket Australia saying, hang on a minute, we need to own this day, uh, this month. So it's a very complex argument. I think the television rights are fascinating. Channel 9 want everything, Channel 10 want everything, and they're going headbutts and Fox are in the middle and could be the kingmaker. Yeah, well, I just hope it works out well for cricket that we get a, a big deal because I think the salary caps in the Big Bash could do with increasing just a little bit so we can we can import a few more players. I don't think it needs a lot of stars, but I think if the salary cap can go up mm. and we can bring a few more international stars in, that could maintain the interest right through February. Yes, exactly. And uh, it's not bad as it is. Look, it's been a wonderful success, honestly, where... What it's done for cricket, and I've seen it at all levels, has just been fabulous. But, you know, I, I, but I want to see it keep going strong. People care now. I mean, people really care about the Big Bash. That's what I've noticed this year more than anything, that people care about these issues, about how the competition is looked after and maintained, and people want to see it stay around for a long time and succeed. So that, that's a real shift for me. And when you get that sort of passion, I think you're on the right path. Yeah, and it's fair. And the fans, you know, like, 
Andrew, I live across the road from the state school where they dug up the cricket wicket about eight years ago. And I said, why'd you do that? And they said, because we haven't got a team anymore. And there's dozens and dozens of schools like that. The cricket ceased to be an entity and it worried me, worried me so much. Now the Big Bash has addressed that. You know, cricket is rising again and I absolutely love it. I agree. So Crash, I'm going to let you go. Thank you so much for your time. In the last episode that I did, I spoke to Stuart McGill. I don't know if you had much to do with him when you were covering the game, but I spent an hour with him and I sensed he's really changed. He's turned a corner or something. I don't know. What was he like when you sort of covered the team? Oh, look, uh, he was a very talented and interesting bloke, always good company. At times he he uh, could be sort of, you know, difficult, but we all could, you know. There was a lot of pressure on journos and players in that era. And uh, one thing I'll give him, I, I, I really enjoyed watching him bowl. I remember him saying once, you know what, mate, I just try and rip the living hell out of every ball, six balls and over, and if two of them take off and get a wicket, happy days. And uh, to take 200 test wickets in the shadow of Shane Warne was was spectacular and um, he had a he had a fine career, Stuart. He really did. Well, listeners and Crash, go back and listen to Stuart McGill talking last week and we're going to take a quick break and then I'm going to be back with Sam Landsberger from the Herald Sun in Melbourne to review the Big Bash. I'm going to leave you with Chris Lynn talking about Billy Stanlake after the last T20. And Crash, thanks for coming on the podcast. Catch up soon. Thanks, Andrew. It doesn't really show too much excitement, Billy. But um, you know, when the ball's coming down at that height, and, you know, anything can happen. I was standing in the first slip, and I was like, I was going to ask Hedy, the 12th man, if I could have a chess card because there was no way I was catching it. You're listening to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Mensel. That was Chris Lynn. And coming up, I've got Sam Landsberger from the Herald Sun in Melbourne to review the Strikers' big win in a big bash. But before we get into that, I want to remind everyone that if they've got time, please rate and review the show on whatever podcast app you listen to the show on. Tell all your cricket-loving friends about the podcast. We're also on Twitter, at AusCricketPod, A-U-S CricketPod. So if you want to find us on Twitter, I'm on Twitter, at Amenas. You can find my weekly cricket column at dailytelegraph.com.au slash cricket. In my last column, I predicted Steve Smith to win his second Allen Border medal. So that's coming up this Monday night. And finally, coming up as a special bonus at the end of the week, there should be another chat with one of the Aussie T20 players from inside the Aussie T20 camp. So a lot to look forward to. And remember, please rate and review the podcast if you've got a chance chance. All right, now I've got on the line Sam Landsberger from the Herald Sun. Sam, I wanted to get you on the podcast before your brain turns into an AFL ball. How are you? <laughs> uh, very well. Yeah, I'm still stretching out the cricket season. So uh, yeah, it's sad that it'd be bash season has come to a close, but it was a lot of fun for a few months. Excellent. Um, now I wanted to kick things off with an interesting article you wrote about the fact that the Aussie T20 players were released at the last minute to go and play in the Big Bash final. You were quite critical of Cricket Australia's decision to do that. Why is it you think they shouldn't have been released? I was. Um, listen, I, I just think we need consistency. Uh, I think when you've got integrity at play uh, at a sport which has fans which are getting pretty passionate after seven years, I think fans just want to know what's 
the situation will be for the whole summer. So when, for me personally, when I look at Cameron White sitting out the Melbourne Derby at Etihad Stadium on a Friday and then not playing for Australia on a Sunday in the same city, and then two or three weeks later you've got you know, Darcy Short, Alex Carey and Travis Head flying on the day of a game after playing for Australia the day before, I just think that we need we need a, a hard and fast rule. And that way if clubs know the landscape, they can, they can better plan and prepare. Um, I understand it's going to be different, a different opinion to a lot of people, but I'd just like to see going forward. You know, maybe international cricket take more of a priority because I think it it wanes on the weekend. I think if you pick for Australia in the ODI squad or the T20 squad, you head in your BBL cap and you say, no worries, I'm in Australian colours until the rest of this series, and then I'll go back to play for my franchise. So if we're all clear and all on the same page, I just think it'll be a lot easier for the fans to swallow because. Uh, a lot were left frustrated uh, over the summer by their players' either availability or the uh, or the availability of, of, of opposition players on it on any given day. Yeah, look, I see where you're coming from, but I think what really sort of comes out of that decision by Cricket Australia is the fact that they did a backflip because they realised perhaps that they've got it wrong. Their policies, mm. you know, even you brought up Cameron White. I think they looked back on that thinking, God, we really got it wrong there with Cameron White missing out on that big bash game. So I think this is more a signal that we're going to see more importance placed on the big bash and getting as many stars in the teams as as you can possibly get. And I, I think players should be able to travel and play on the same day. I think to fly, you know, an hour or two from Sydney or Melbourne to say out Adelaide and say you can't play a game of Big Bash that night's just ridiculous. Yes, again, I'll, I'll go back at you there. But there is a policy in place. Cricket Australia has a rule that you don't travel and play on the same day. Three players did that on Sunday. So they've broken their own rule there. And I think it just opens up more consistencies because uh, if the Big Bash final was in Perth, I don't think the players would have been allowed to play. So then you've got different rules for different franchises all over the country. Um, based on geographical factors. There's just too many variables. That's why I'd like to see one rule for everyone, but totally understand that that, yeah, that, that many will disagree with that. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it's a really interesting talking point. Uh, I just think that we need to make sure that international cr- cricket is absolutely the number one priority and that no preparation is ever possibly compromised because... Uh, that'll be a pretty sad day for cricket. Well, what about then a big bash window? Having a few weeks in January where Cricket Australia doesn't schedule any ODIs or T20 internationals and you've got a sort of clear run into the finals where every player is available. Would you like that one, Sam? Oh, of course. I think we all would. And I think we're on the way next year. Um, next summer, if you look at the Future Tools program, the... Uh, the bulk of the ODIs and the, and the T20s will actually be played in October and November against against South Africa. I think that the only international cricket scheduled for January is uh, two test matches against Sri Lanka and three one days. And my understanding is that those one days might even cut, you know, come down to to one or two. So next summer, in terms of a white ball clash, will only be a, a very small series against Sri Lanka. So we should actually see that window next year. And that, 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 that is looking like, you know, while dates aren't locked in exactly, that's looking like a, a much better outcome. Yeah, I think the challenge for them with that schedule next year will be, you know, if they want to put in a day-night test against Sri Lanka, mm. say at the Gabba, will they stop the Big Bash for those five nights to, to give the day-night test some sort of clear airtime? I think that's the main challenge. 
uh, next summer. But you spoke to the head of the Big Bash, Kim McConney, a couple of weeks ago. What was your feeling on Cricket Australia's desire to expand the Big Bash? Uh, look, there's no doubt that expansion in terms of feeding in extra clubs, that's, that's not on the horizon in the next few years. I think we'll, the, the eight existing clubs, which we've seen for the first seven years, will, will remain that way for the next few at least. Uh, in terms of adding more games, uh, I'll be right on, on this for a while. I think Cricket Australia is, is very, very keen to, to expand to a full home and away calendar next year, which will be 14 games each. I think that's going to prove very, very unpopular with players and coaches alike. Uh, it's going to make it a, extremely difficult to, to sign overseas players, certainly for the duration of the tournament. They're not paid enough money to come here for that long. The salary cap is so much lower than the IPL, it's not funny. So I think that it's going to be, you know, if they do go down that path, it's going to prove unpopular. We've had players like Kevin Peterson and Dwayne Bravo and Brad Hodge and Andrew McDonald, uh, the Renegades coach and captain Cameron White. They've all gone on the record and said, no, 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 you know, we've got enough cricket at the moment with 10 games. But that seems to be a different line of thinking at CA and they're obviously about to, all, to renegotiate a a new broadcast rights deal. So they might be licking their lips at the, uh, at the potential to get a, a few more dollars in the bank. Well, that's what I think it comes down to. Show me the mm. money. If TV wants more games, then I think Cricket Australia will probably plough ahead. But I agree with the players on this one. I think they should stick with the 10-game format next season and just see how it goes. Because this summer we've seen a flattening of crowds and a slight dip in TV ratings, certainly not alarming on the TV side of things, but definitely the crowds were down from 30,000 average to about a 25,000 average. I would think you would want to just see how things play out next year, whether this is a trend or we just had a bit of an ashes hangover kind of thing. Yeah, I think the other factor too is uh, we've now got other codes that are really ramping up in February. I don't think cricket wants to give, you know, AFL a free kick. I mean, the AFLW in Melbourne now is, is quite large. It's sort of on the back page more days than not. Uh, I think cricket, you know, wants to own that space again. I mean, it is still summer. If they can extend the big bash out, you know, through February, that might appeal to them, you know, from a media point of view and just owning that space because they really don't want to relinquish those weeks to other sports. Yeah, I mean, I'm a massive cricket fan, so I would be happy with more and more cricket. I just could watch the Big Bash right and through sort of February, March, April. Uh, but, yeah, I think they've just got to be careful they don't destroy the product. What you don't mm. want is the Big Bash being played out in front of empty crowds and, you know, sort of lose the enthusiasm of the public. Well, again, I've got the top here, so the numbers might be slightly out. But if you think back to BBL 3 uh, I think that season they, they blew it out beyond the school holidays. And the Melbourne Star close to the Hobart Hurricanes in the semi-final uh, at, at the MCG, and I think there was about 12,000 people there in the middle of February. So basically the fans were saying, we don't want cricket uh, outside the school holidays. It worked really nicely in January, uh, and, but at the semi-final, there was just no atmosphere there, and the Stars, after winning every group stage, they got done in front of no supporters. So, yeah, it was a real bizarre end. Uh, it was a real strange final, and, yeah, that, that would be really disappointing if that occurred again next season. Well, Sam, that's a very good point, and it's a warning sign that Cricket Australia should look at, and I hope they're listening to this podcast. All right, (laughs) Sammy, you were over in Adelaide for the semi-final for the Strikers and the Renegades. I want to talk about that, but before we do, I just want to touch on the Scorchers v. Hurricanes semi-finals. Perth Scorchers went into that 
game as hot favourites at the new Optus Stadium. And I just thought Adam Voges made a huge error in sending the Hurricanes into bat first. The Hurricanes went on to make 210. The Scorchers were 7 for 68 and never, never managed to get near the total. I thought Voges completely misread the conditions at the new stadium. Look, it was a really interesting one. I can see why he did it. I mean, it was the first T20 game there. Yeah, I think the, the, the theory was have a look at how it plays before you actually go out to bat. I actually spoke to Ricky Ponting the next morning, and um, Name dropper. he was he was he was surprised that Bo just sent them in. Uh, he thought he let Hobart into the game. You know, he gave them a sniff. They, they they were loaded with power hitters, and yeah, the writing was on the wall of what could happen, and it happened. Uh, look, no doubt in hindsight, you got it wrong. It's a funny game, T20 cricket. That was the fifth minor premier in seven seasons that failed to win a home semi-final. So, and the Scorchers probably had not only their best side for the year, but probably the best T20 side assembled in the Big Bash all season on paper. And it just crumbled. Uh, they changed a few of their plans. Mitch Johnson had bowled the first over, I think, in every game all summer. And then you know Mitch Mars bowled the first over on Thursday night. So... Yeah, it just didn't work. The Scorchers know the conditions and the dimensions of the of the whack are better than everyone. So, you know, that, that, they moved to the new stadium, the new Perth Stadium. Nothing worked for them that night, and that's T20 cricket. Uh, you can have a game ripped away from you very easily if one or two players fire from the opposition. Yeah, I think having seen some matches at the Perth Stadium in the lead-up to that semi-final, that... It was pretty clear that it was a bat first wicket that the because it's a young drop in that it gets a bit mm. rough and doesn't quite come on as the game goes on. So I don't know how Vogue just misread that one, uh, but he's retired now, so he's finished uh, <laughs> his big bash career. I wonder if Mitch Johnson will come back next year. Very good question. Uh, what do you think? Do you think he will? It's hard to tell with him because he seems so relaxed and he, he doesn't seem like he's particularly enthusiastic about playing cricket. He sort of does it for a bit of fun and to be around the boys. But I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't. Justin Langer doesn't want veterans hanging around. He wants to mm. invest in youth. And if, if the stable of Western Australian fast bowlers are fit, like Berendorf, Coulter Nile, Joel Paris and you got this new guy, Matt Kelly, maybe you don't need Johnson next year. So I think we might have seen the last of him in the Big Bash. Yeah, I think it also... I think he's playing the IPL again. And last IPL, he was he was a match winner in the last over. I think he got Steve Smith out as uh, his team one, defended a very low total. So he might have a look at how he goes there, how the body's feeling. Um, you know, he does struggle to get through every game now. Sitting on planes every, you know, every couple of days isn't great for him. Uh, I think you're probably right. It's more unlikely than likely, but I think his form elsewhere in the world will will play a big factor. So moving on from the first semi-final, you went to the second semi-final, the Strikers v the Renegades at the Adelaide Oval. The Strikers won by one run on the back of Travis Head's 85 not out. For me, that that was the game of the tournament. What did you think being at the Adelaide Oval? Oh, it was a cracking game of cricket. High pressure, high stakes, uh, high quality. Uh, but you you only had to look at the last ball. You, you had a gun death bowler and Ben Lawson facing, you know, a, a, a six hitter in Kyron Pollard. Uh, they both probably failed to execute. Uh, Lawson didn't bowl the, the ball he wanted to, and, and Pollard failed to connect. But yeah, it, it was a cracking game of cricket. I, I think it was certainly up there for games of the tournament. I really enjoyed the uh, the one at the Wacker earlier this year between the Renegades and the Scorchers. That had a bit of everything when the Scorchers chased down 185 or whatnot. But yeah, this was certainly up there. Uh, yeah, just a great, great game of cricket. I, I thought the Renegades had it one, to be honest, when they needed about 40 or 30, but 
Uh, yeah, some great death bowling again. And the Renegades, you know, they, they probably went a little bit too conservative. I mean, they, they had more power hitters to come and they didn't use them. And, yeah, they, they fell short. It's just a great game of cricket, though. Yeah, heartbreaking loss for the Renegades to be four down and to get mm. so close. You've got to think they left a little bit too much juice in the tank. They should have gone harder a bit earlier. But I still can't believe Kieran Pollard completely missed that last ball. To take an air swing and not get any bat on it, just fla- flabbergasted. Mm. Uh, and look, if you could have had one renegade to face that last ball, we asked Cameron White this after the game. He said, well, if you if you could pick Pollard, who's already on you know 20 or 30 odd, you'd pick him every time. Well, I actually went back to the midway of that innings. I think in overs 10, 11 and 12, the Renegades only went at five and over. And I've just seen that three over period cost them because as we, as we said, they've had, they had wickets in the bank and yeah, they just didn't quite accelerate over those middle overs. But again, they were still in a really good position and just couldn't quite finish off. And unfortunately, that's probably been the theme of the Renegades over the, the history of the tournament. There are, they've been a really frustrating team. They've quite often been in really good positions and failed to, you know, to, to cash in and, you know, it might have cost them a championship. Uh, they would have, Kyron Pollock connects that last ball. They host the semi-final at Etihad Stadium and, you know, they're in the box seat to finally win one. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very fickle game. Yeah, Cameron White looked pretty dejected after that loss. One of my highlights from that semi-final was when Rashid Khan for the strikers, started giving some lip to Pollard. You couldn't have had a bigger mismatch of sizes. you got the biggest bloke on the field, <laughs> Pollard, with this you know, small little leggy um, going at each other. It was compelling viewing. Well, the whole of me was, I thought the crowd was pretty disappointed that night. There was only about 36,000 in it, which was maybe a touch under. But, geez, the reception Rashid Khan got when he came on, I think the ball the last throw of the power play was... Yeah, it was enormous. Uh, the Adelaide locals, they, they really got around him. They love him. He became the cold hero. No one had probably heard of him at the start of the summer. You know, he was the best bowler in all tournament. Um, and the reception he got was fantastic. They absolutely love him. And, yeah, I'm sure we'll see him back again next year. Yeah, just one of the highlights of the tournament, seeing him bowl. Now, staying with the Renegades, you caught up with Brad Hodge recently and had a chat with him about a pretty sad finish to his career. I don't think he's too upset, but, you know, he got appendicitis and missed out on the end of the Renegades campaign, and that's it for him. It is, yeah. Hodgie revealed in the Summer Herald Sun that, uh, that that's it. He's, he's done and dusted. He's going to play a final for his local club, East Sandringham, which he loves, and that'll be his last time in the middle. Um, a real sad way to end. To, to be honest, you know he's a lucky man, Hodgie. He was he was very very sick for a long time. He, his appendix burst. Um, he took himself in a taxi at three a.m. to the emergency ward at Camber Hospital. Um, he was preparing to captain the Renegades that night. Unfortunately, not. He underwent emergency surgery and came out to Melbourne and had complications. He, he developed a, a really nasty infection, um, and basically his stomach lining filled with you know leakage and bacteria and. He had to go into theatre again to have that cleaned up. And I think all up, he was in hospital for about seven or eight days. And it's going to be a long road to recover. It's going to be a long recovery for him. It was a, it was a really, really serious illness. So, you know, very glad he's okay. But, yeah, it's not him the chance to lead the Renegades to, to, to the final. He's really good mates with Andrew McDonald, the coach, and Aaron Finch, the captain. So he would have loved to help them, you know, help that franchise deliver some success. He was a foundation player there. He played the first BBL there, so 
yeah, a sad way to end, but you don't get to write your endings in sport, unfortunately. But what, he's had a marvellous career for, I think, 25 years. Yeah, and he left his mark. Didn't he hit the first six onto the third tier of at Etihad Stadium and then put a chair there or changed the chair to red where he hit the ball? So I guess he's he's got that to think about when he's in retirement. Yeah, he was pretty happy. He said uh, this, didn't go, this didn't make the paper, but he said... Uh, that was a highlight of his big bash career that he can hit a ball. He can now hit Aaron Prince. So he's got the first one into the third tier. I think Ro effort landed on and Yeah, as you said, they've converted the chair to red. And I think he's pretty keen to sit in his red chair and watch the Melbourne Demons play that he had a few times. He uh, he loves his footy as well, Hodgie. And yeah, yeah, he was pretty chuffed to us. <laughs> he was pretty chuffed to get one out of the screws like that. Yeah, and um, Brad Hogg, Hoggy. Could be the end for him, benched for the end of the Renegades campaign. I think he'll struggle to get signed next season. Oh, I think you're probably right there. Um, you know, he's had a, a bit of a dodgy knee now for a couple of years as well. That's held him back a little bit. He had surgery after last season. Uh, yeah, he did fall out of favour pretty quickly. His last seven overs uh, went from number 90, and he dropped Ash and Turner in a critical moment in, in that loss to the scores to the Waka. It's got to be said, though, Hoggy started the season in really good form. Even that, that, that game with the Waka, he was bowling really well until his last over, where his last ball actually went for 13 runs because of a no ball and a couple of sixes. So, uh, yeah, it looks like the end of the road for Hoggy. Um, it's, it's hard to see him playing at this level in another 12 months. Uh, and if it is, you, you've got to applaud a, a magnificent career. I think he turned 47 yesterday. So, yeah, to, to be bowling at that level at that age is, is quite remarkable. But... I think he'd probably, in his heart, love to go on, but it, it does look more unlikely than likely. Yeah, it's just been a, a magnificent career. Well done, Hoggy and Brad Hodge. Now let's move on to the final. We had a bit of a strange t- start time for the Big Batch final. 4pm start. What did you think of that? Didn't like it. First day came all summer and it's in the grand final. I'd love to know how many people switched on Channel 10 at 7.30, expected to see the final, and, and said they were probably watching... You know, at the end of the celebrations into the start of I'm a Celebrity. Uh, yeah, didn't like it. Uh, hopefully we can fix that up next year. Very strange to play all, all season and night and then change it for the grand final. Yeah, it was confusing. I don't mind it because it gets the kids uh, there being able to watch it. But, yeah, it just seemed a bit out of place for this one. And I think they need to sort of work out what they're going to do with the final going forward. Saturday night would have been better but I think they had a problem with it clashing with the Aussie T20 game, so they compromised for Sunday. But, look, great for the kids that could go out there. Adelaide looked beautiful, and the Strikers won their first big bash title. They made two for 202. Jake Weatherold, 115 off 70 balls. The Hurricanes were never in it. They finished five for 177. Darcy Short made 68. But a convincing win for the Strikers on the back of some really good bowling from Siddle and Benny Lachlan. It was. Um, Peter Siddle was fantastic. Jake Weatherall was the obvious man of the match, but uh, I'll tell you what, if he hadn't maybe fell short of that 100, Siddle might have been right up to it. He, he, his spell was terrific. The, I thought the Hurricanes, they looked on song at one point when Darcy Short was, was up and going, but then Siddle came back on and, and just ripped the game out of their hands completely. Uh, what a, the, the reinvention of him this summer was been, has been terrific. At the Renegades for, for a number of years, he's looked like a great test bowler, not a great 2020 bowler. He's completely changed that around this summer. I think he was the most economical pacer in the big bash. Uh, he had a great summer for the strikers, great pickup as well. And 
Yeah, they were too good, but geez, there are a few question marks about the way the Hurricanes went about it. I mean, for Matthew Wade to to be in such you know blistering form in the semi final and then not get a hit two nights, three nights later was really strange. Um, they obviously wanted the left hand right hand combinations, but surely you just get your best batter facing as many balls as you can in the final. Yeah. I mean, I hate to say anything bad against George Bailey, but he completely messed that one up. I don't know how they could get that so wrong because, again, like the semifinals, the Hurricanes were 5 for 177. They had all these wickets in hand. They didn't go really go after the strikers bowling. It just seemed so strange that Tim Payne opened and Matthew Wade came so far down the order and eventually got run out for a diamond duck. Why you wouldn't stick Wade and short up the top and just say, go for it, you're chasing over 200. It was just baffling. And I think there's going to be shockwaves to come out of that decision because I think Matt Wade will be on the lookout for another club after the way he was treated. <laughs> well, this is his first year at the Hurricanes, so... Uh, it, was, it, it was bizarre. As we spoke about before, Voges winning the toss and sending the Hurricanes in on Thursday was a little bit strange. And John Holland didn't bowl on over for the Renegades on Friday night. So throughout the finals, there were a few quirky decisions. But I guess that's what pressure does. It's, you know, it gets the captains as well. You know, you'd like to see that you know they can be a little bit more considered in those situations. But yeah, well, I guess, you know, you, you are judged on the outcome and, and probably those ones all backfired. So, yeah, it was, it was a funny final series from a tactical point of view as well. Well, well done to the strikers. I had them as one of my favourites early in the comp, so I'm really happy they got over the line. Uh, I just wanted to ask you about probably the highlight of the season, which was the Benny Lachlan, Jake Weatherall catch at Etihad Stadium. Were you there for that one? I was, yeah, that was amazing live. Can you run us through it? It was, it was on the other side of the ground, unfortunately, from the press box. But yeah, you, know, you, you could sort of, it, it was sort of like watching it unfold in slow motion. I mean, uh, when it was flipped back, you, you know, it, it was sort of if times tossed. You thought, surely, you know, this couldn't happen. This couldn't happen, and it didn't. The, 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 my favourite part was when uh, you know they got up and they did the, the champion celebration because it was Dwayne Bravo, the batsman, got dismissed. There's a, a little bit of cheek about that as well. The, the first thing that came to my mind was Gary Moorcross mark in the AFL in 2001, which is probably the, the, the greatest mark I've ever seen. And on the same stadium, you know, in a similar part, on the similar side of the ground, was uh, these these two boys um, combining for. Probably the most spectacular catch cricket scene. Maybe not, you know, the, the, the best overall, but certainly the most spectacular. And just the noise at Etihad Stadium. I mean, you don't need too many in there to, to make a, a loud sound under the roof. Everyone was on their feet. The celebration was was from the players. Really, really crystallised that this was a special moment in the history of the game. The bench was up and about as if they just won the championship. Uh, it was. Yeah, it was a, it was a stunning piece of play. Yeah, I think one thing that I noticed that you don't really get from the TV, but they did show a shot sort of from further back was the distance both of them covered. Benny Lachlan to catch the ball, and then how big the the throw was to Weatherall, mm. just amazing. I think it also uh, that was the first time I'd seen the strikers live all season, and it went to the heart of why they were so good. That they were they were just clinical that night against the Renegades and. Um, it was similar in the final. Um, you know, they execute their plans. They're a well-drilled team. You know, for every inning they conserve wickets and then they accelerate at the end. They were just such a well-drilled T20 side. There's, you know, there's the old saying in sport. You know, a team, of cha- a champion team will be the team of champions. They, they, they are 
a champion team. Everything they do was so professional. You know, everyone knew each other's plans. Every innings of that game. Uh, and that and that catch summed it up perfectly. Well, Sammy, you've summed it up perfectly with that analysis of the strikers. Well done. Uh, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a fantastic Big Bash season. It's been great to talk to you about it. And, you know, we'll catch up next year for the Big Bash again. Anytime. It's been a pleasure. Thanks very much. Well, that's it for Cricket Unfiltered this week. Thanks so much for downloading and listening to the podcast again. Thanks to Robert Craddock and Sam Landsberger for coming on the podcast. You can find Crash's work at thecouriermail.com.au and Sam's work at theheraldsun.com.au. I'll be back later in the week with a peek inside the Aussie T20 camp.